Hello everyone and welcome to Living in this Queer Body, a podcast about barriers to embodiment and how our collective body stories can bring us back to ourselves. Today on the episode we have the brilliant and very powerful Ilya Parker of Decolonizing Fitness. And before I introduce him and we get to the episode, I want to tell you a story. So, as many of you know from listening to the podcast, I struggle with chronic health issues and specifically autoimmune conditions. And I've tried a lot of things to help me. One of the most consistently helpful things to help support me alongside Western, you know, certain aspects of Western medicine that have been you know, kind of life-saving and extremely important, um, has been acupuncture and herbs. And I, for many years, saw an acupuncturist named Chloe Weber. And Chloe is someone who was just extremely personable, so nerdy about kind of the science of it all, and really curious about, you know, my specific body and what could help me. And she's just a lovely person and very thorough and in-depth, right? And our treatments along with herbs really brought me a lot of, a lot of ease and comfort and stability in the midst of you know, my body being inflamed or my body being not working in a very functional way. So I am eternally grateful to Chloe for that. And the reason I'm telling you this story today is because Chloe has a relatively new project called Radical Roots Herbs. It's a CBD product line and I really can't say enough about the products and also Chloe's and her business partner's kind of integrity around this. So why am I talking about this? We are not necessarily going to start having um, a lot of sponsors, but Chloe wants to support the podcast and I want to support her project because I think so many people who are listening experience chronic health issues ranging from, you know, chronic pain to migraines to insomnia to anxiety, depression, chronic fatigue, attentional issues like ADHD, things like that. You know, there's so many things that I think CBD can be helpful for. It's not a fix, you know, like nothing's a fix. Um, We wish, but nothing's a fix. It's brought me and I think a lot of people just some really important ease and relief of the intensity of certain symptoms. And that's, you know what really good CBD can do. I think 
a lot of the CBD out there is, you know, has questionable origins. And the thing about Chloe's products is that they, they sort of combine the wisdom of Chinese herbology with high quality, full spectrum hemp. I'm just looking at her website right now and there are five internal formulas and one topical. They're formulated to address the most common complaints of modern society, like I mentioned. They have a unique alchemical extraction method. That sounds intriguing. And most importantly, they do testing. The testing is listed for heavy metals, pesticides, myotoxins, and more. They're all on the website for each batch. So it's demonstrably clear that these are quality products and and they are and they feel that way. So if you're interested in trying out CBD or if you've been looking for a really quality CBD product, you can use the discount code Queer CBD, so that's Q U E E R C B D for twenty percent off of your order, and you can go to radicalrootsherbs.com. I'll uh, put a link in the show notes. And thank you, Chloe, for being who you are and for doing what you do. So the promotion is over. I am moving on to our guest, Ilya Parker. Ilya Parker is a black, non-binary, transmasculine person, physical therapist assistant, and ACE certified medical exercise specialist with over 13 years of rehabilitative and functional training experience. Ilya is a social justice advocate, yes, he is, and educator whose work centers racial, gender, and healing justice. Ilya is also a freelance writer and has contributed to Everyday Feminism, Self Magazine, Mashable, and Athlete Ally. Ilya decided to merge their love for restorative-based movement practices and community advocacy to create Decolonizing Fitness, which is owned and operated solely by trans and queer people of color. Decolonizing Fitness is a social justice platform that provides affirming fitness services, community education, and apparel in support of body diversity. You can learn more about Ilya by listening to his podcast called Decolonizing Fitness. It's available anywhere. You, it's a must, must listen. If you've looked at my Instagram, I promote their work all the time. I think the Meet Ilya episode is really beautiful, but they're all incredible episodes. And hopefully this one will be incredible too. I really believe in the work that Ilya is doing. And full disclaimer... I have worked with Ilya personally in part because of their expertise in medical rehabilitative work and sort of restorative practices trying to get moving again with movement, essentially, and trying to find safe ways to do that that aren't depleting to my body. And he offers those services from a distance, so you do it virtually. And it's extremely, like, motivating and easeful and sensitive and professional. And I don't know, it was probably the only thing that was going to kind of help me to uh, incorporate movement back into my life after, 
kind of a really um, surprising and intense kind of setback with my autoimmune disease. So I, I hope you enjoy this episode and I really appreciate you listening. Thank you so much for joining me today. As many people know already, if you follow me on Instagram, I'm a really big fan of yours. That's a full disclosure. And I'm really curious about talking to you about about all the things you do and kind of how you came to understand why it's necessary to be doing the work you're doing. So thank you for joining me. No problem, Asher. Thank you for having me. And I appreciate your love and support. (laughs) Yeah. For sure. Cool. So I, I, I like to start each, each episode with a question, you know, if you could reflect on how you came to understand what it meant to be in a body when you were younger, like what messaging you received or any kind of stories that come to mind about how you learned about what it meant to be in a body. Mm, that's a really good question. So I think for me, simultaneously, I came to find myself grappling what it meant to be in a a body um, identified as a black person. I think the first time I got called nigger in grade school, Mm -hmm. um, you know, brought that harsh reality to me. And then also identifying myself in a fat body. And mm. then in a non-conforming body or the pushback when I was attempting to move in this state of like non-conformity. So I had a lot of things kind of all rolled up together that I just didn't quite understand. St- un- I didn't quite understand where I fit uh, in yeah. a lot of places. And it was a difficult conversation, especially, you know, back then when you don't have the language living in southeastern regions of the United States and you don't even know how to bring those difficult subject matters to your family and even when you do your family just can't you know especially blood relatives they just can't hold that and so then as I began to age and, and reached out to like greater community still struggling with what does it mean to you know feel like I just don't align with how my body shows up to the world Mm-hmm. And I think that's what kind of helped shape a lot of the language that I have today to so effectively describe that, not to toot my own horn, but I think just having the privilege to be able to reflect a lot on the way I grew up, how I was raised culturally as a Southern Baptist person, as a gender nonconforming person, as a mm-hmm. butch lesbian, you know, as a black light skinned person, um, and then, you know, a transmasculine person just moving through all of these identities mm-hmm. really just, yeah, just shaped who I am today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm picturing the ways in which you were, had, you know, you kind of had to hold all of that until you found points of resonance or connection. Do you remember some of those earlier? kind of moments where you actually felt resonance around any, any of the aspects of self that kind of didn't feel like you had a lot of ways to articulate. I mean, 
Yeah, I I remember I worked as a dishwasher when I was about 18 and I remember listening to the radio and it was like an advertisement and it was a, a gay man and um he was uh talking about it was a black man and he was talking about um showing up at the library and I think the group was called coming to support a group called people people of color amongst the rainbow or something along those lines and and the way he was talking he was like you know if you've never felt a part of something if you're kind of struggling to find your place in this world you're not alone if you're having feelings and you you know you're struggling with being a sinner and you know people are telling telling you that you know or you know trying to pathologize you in some type of way mm-hmm. you know come join us and i actually for the first time i was like you know i'm going to step out there and i went to the meeting and I was met with like so many hugs. And that was like the first time that people who didn't know me, who weren't family members, who hadn't birthed me and changed diapers were actually giving me a hug. And I actually felt more love from mm. them than I had in my had ever felt from some of my family members. And I just broke down and cried. I bet. And I was like, <laughs> wow, it felt like home. You know, mm. it felt like home. Yeah. And that was my that person ended up being my gay father um, until his is, you know, his dying breath. And um, I was right there at his bedside. Um, You know, he died of HIV, died of AIDS Mm -hmm. and um, was right there with him. And I just I'm just so thankful for the connections that I've had along the way. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's why I try to give that back to folks now. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was a pivotal moment in my life. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad you were listening to the radio in that moment. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You needed that. And yes. we all need those. I mean, yeah, for so many reasons. It's, yes. it's, yeah. And I think a lot of, you know, just to kind of put it into context for people who aren't familiar with your work and we'll definitely talk about what you're doing current, like the current iteration of how you're, how you're putting work into the world. But you know, I think you're right that so much of what you do is putting into words what what people may be feeling but don't realize that they're feeling or don't realize um, that they can feel it or it's possible. And I think specifically when it comes to how you're talking about decolonizing fitness and and in your podcast, you know, really articulating these aspects of experience, maybe in fitness culture and wellness culture, you know, that that many, many people are feeling and experiencing, but maybe aren't, you know, it's almost like they haven't been given permission to feel yes. those things or be bothered by them or publicly be bothered by them or to talk about that. And so I want to kind of get into what, you know, how you came to be doing what you're doing with decolonizing fitness and, you know, kind of it's up to you how you want to talk about that. I'm mm-hmm. sure, you know, this is like your entire life journey. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm curious what, you know, what sort of like moments led up to developing the languaging that you have around mm-hmm. this and the program. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, so yeah, a lot led up to, to decolonizing fitness. But I think, uh, again, some crucial periods in time were my work in the medical industry as a physical therapist Mm. and really, 
really diving into like the medical industrial complex and seeing all the fuckery that goes on with that. And, um, and being the only black trans person in PT school and being the only mm-hmm. black trans person working at a major hospital and being the only black trans person who had to actually go to the emergency room, become a patient in that hospital and being misgendered by my own colleagues. Um, mm. And so it was, it was a lot, a lot of things that I was kind of working through within that system that yeah. I knew I wanted to do more with and then merging in my social justice piece so again, going back to having the language to name these things early on and then having the privilege to be able to sit on diversity and inclusion boards in that hospital and kind of working my way up through this, you know, this hierarchy that they always create, um, even when you're trying to do like, you know, that inclusivity type of work um, mm-hmm. and still, you know, still feeling the racism and the transphobia and homophobia through, throughout that whole piece. And then tying into my gender transition, my medical gender transition, and Mm -hmm. um, the difficulties of moving through that with, you know, medical gatekeepers telling me that I need to lose weight and, um, you know, telling me that my body should show up a certain way in order to, you know, receive this particular thing to help me change aesthetically. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Mm -hmm. all of that Mm -hmm. together help me form <laughs> yeah. decolonizing fitness. Cause at the end of the day, the most simplest thing is you're not trying to show up for bodies like mine in any of these spaces. And we're here. And even if you're, cause uh, the popular question I get is, well, this place is for everyone, but nobody looks like me. Nobody right. moves like me. Right. So how is it for everyone? Who in the fuck are you centering? You know, you're centering the same type of people who can literally walk outside and have everything kind of laid at their feet because the world is made for them. Uh, And so I really started the ball rolling, you know, training my friends. Um, Well, having douchebag trainers and, um, you know, sexist, misogynistic, you know, just just crappy ass trainers that I was paying, Mm. you know, my Mm -hmm. hard earned money for. And just not getting the, you know, not being able, these folks not being able to help me reach my goals, not even honoring or acknowledging my goals. And Mm. then I'm like, why am I paying you when I can study? I have a medical background. I'll go get my own, you know, exercise cert and just do the shit myself. And and honestly, that's what it did. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And now as I, oh. Go ahead. Oh, well, I just wanted to talk a little bit like about how how it impacted you to at the the moment that you were I think a lot of listeners probably have experienced, you know, many people have experiencing have experienced, excuse me, something similar where they're at the at the very moment of kind of vulnerability, you know, presenting oneself to mm-hmm. the you know, the medical system. And as you said, like the gatekeepers, um, around trans affirming, you know, healthcare, Mm -hmm. what's supposed to be trans affirming healthcare, Mm -hmm. you know, at that very moment, like really be encountering really shitty trainers and people who are interacting with your body in ways that, you know, are not even respectful, much less, Mm -hmm. you know, empowering or like, how did that impact you? 
yeah, how did that impact you? It it, it honestly felt so familiar. Yeah. Because even yeah. even even now in 2019, when I tell people that the way that we are geographically dispersed in southeastern regions is mm. such an important factor because even when you say, well, hey, just reach to your local community. Hey, just find you yeah. a gender affirming surgeon and doctor and therapist. It's not that simple. So mm-hmm. every single part of society, every single place that you reach out to slams the door in your face, shits on you, hates on you. Like that's all you feel. So honestly, I w- it was so familiar yeah. to say, oh, hey, this is just another transphobic person that I'm encountering. This is the 50th one for the day. <laughs> Let me right. add it to the list. Right. right. And, and you, that's why I do the work of really reconnecting with bodies as trans and gender nonconforming people, especially people of color who are also in a fat body or a body that is disabled because we, we internalize that so much and every person does, don't get me wrong, but it's such a particular way when you have state sanctioned violence, when you have disparities in healthcare, when you have disparities in employment and housing and food deserts and all of these other things that you're trying to deal with. And you're like, damn, I just wanted to grasp onto something that might give me a little support. I feel good. I wanted to go to the gym and, you know, maybe have a cool workout. And then yet again, you get hit with all of this shit plus the racism. And I think that was the hugest piece because I, I, I don't live in Charlotte now, but I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina. And a lot of people think of Charlotte who are familiar as a big banking town is pretty progressive, but it's like one of the ultra most conservative cities in the country. Mm. I, I mm. hold firm in that. Um, and um, so a lot of the trainers that I reached out to were cisset white men who are all, who already had a particular, you know, trope that they seen me as a black person, as a, as a black, Dyke, excuse my French, even though I've reclaimed the word dyke and I also identify as a dyke, by the way, but um, who, mm-hmm. you know, who just see me as, you know, some some burly, you know, black woman who wants to be more like a man. How dare you type of thing. So I had that really, really harsh, you know, mm. kind of treatment on top of the transphobia as I was moving into like through my gender transition. And then, you know, and, and then when I reached to the other side, which was cishet black men and cishet black women, same thing. It was this whole, you know, um, this whole concern trolling of, oh, you're killing yourself. You, you're, you know, you're ascribing to this homosexuality and you're also, you're also too fat and you're coming and you're showing up this way and your body's meant to, reproduce for you know and be barefoot and pregnant for your your husband and all this bullshit Mm -hmm. so it was just a lot to swim through it was just a lot to swim through but it was like I said it was shit I had always heard Mm -hmm. growing up Mm -hmm. unfortunately yeah right and so then you kind of do in some ways like the queerest thing you can do which is (laughs) to just create your own shit you know like create (laughs) For yourself. I mean, and and I say that not in a a kind of like utopian way, because Mm -hmm. everything we create is we're creating, you know, kind of within these systems of Mm -hmm. violence. And I'm not, you know, in any way trying to say that, that what you've created kind of, I mean, it's, it's wonderful. And anytime I think 
in my opinion, anytime queer people are really trying to create something that meets needs that, you know, that the, the as you said, that, that like kind of try to move outside of state sanctioned violence, that mm-hmm. that's really important. So you create this thing um, mm-hmm. and what are the kind of guiding principles or what is so important about, I love what you said about, you know, connecting trans, non-conforming, non-binary, people of color, particularly connecting them to their bodies. And I'm just wondering, like, you know, with decolonizing fitness, what do you do and what do you believe in in, in that project? Mm. I think the core components for me have always been healing justice, racial justice, gender justice, mm. um, and being in alignment with that first and foremost which helps me shape the landscape for it. And then I also wanted to kind of push past because I started infusing like body positivity and fat acceptance and things like that into my work. But I also wanted to push past this whole thing. Well, great. Now you're becoming okay with your body. So you can just love your body. And that's it. Now you know that you're Mm -hmm. here and you deserve to be here and your body can show up the way it needs to show up. All of that's fine and good, but I still had clients who literally would cause themselves pain just to feel their body. Mm. So I was trying to get people, I'm still trying to get people to a place of even being okay day by day in your body. And that's a huge, huge piece of my work now. And that's something that I'm still working through. Because mm-hmm. it's it's moments when I literally wake up and I still am disconnected from my body. Mm-hmm. But I know now that I have the tools to, if I need to step outside and get some fresh air, let the sun, you know, hit my skin to bring me back, even if it's just, even if it's just for a moment, to yeah. bring me back to my body. So mo- purposeful movement used as a healing modality is a huge piece in my work. Mm-hmm. And of course, the social justice component, mm-hmm. always. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that that kind of a lot of the discourses around acceptance, body acceptance, you know, as someone who, you know, I've worked in the eating disorder field for a long time, and particularly with queer, trans, non-binary folks and I think what you're saying really resonates for me mm-hmm. in the sense that there's kind of this polarization like you either you know are in your body or you're not or you feel you know you feel good about your body and you've accepted it or you haven't and I like the way you know that you frame the it's you know it's sort of like a a mindfulness perspective in some ways on it where, where it's like you actually, it is a moment to moment day to day experience of just Mm -hmm. learning to be in the body. And this kind of transcendent idea of like acceptance has Mm -hmm. to be, I don't know, broken down or something like that because it just, it's, it's, uh, I don't think it's very, I actually don't think it's very healing in some ways. Um, Right, right. And then this notion that if you need to have a particular medical procedure that modifies your body's body to help you align with it, that you still feel like something's wrong with your body. 
Yes. Or, you know, and I and I had just shared about this on Instagram. It's like that can be also great for someone's mental health. Like, who yes. are you to deny that or judge right. me for wanting to do those things? Right. That can also look like body positivity. Yes. Yes, I agree. I think that that's really important. And and I think that part of the work that I've done for so long has been kind of at the intersection of exactly that, this idea yeah. that, you know, a lot of people who come to me who have, you know, who have disordered eating or orthorexia or, you know, are really actually just trying in their own way to modify their bodies so that they can feel good and better and feel more Mm -hmm. in alignment. And so to kind of rip those things away from people without, you know, acknowledging that and really being sensitive to the nuance of that and Mm. working through that with people seems really important. And I guess, you know, it seems like something similar must occur for you where people, even if they haven't, you know, done a lot of fitness training or something like that, they've been exposed to all of the messaging around Mm -hmm. it, right? They've been Mm -hmm. exposed to, you know, what body should and shouldn't look like. And so I'm curious, you know, sort of how you strike that balance between helping people to kind of move into more embodied experiences, more, you know, quote unquote acceptance or, you know, without, I guess, while navigating this body shame, essentially, these yeah. internalized notions of, you know, like what things should and shouldn't be. And yeah, I think the biggest piece that I'm learning because, I, you know, I don't have an ED background. Yeah. Um, I'm not a, a registered dietitian or nutritionist, therapist, even though we wear many hats when we do, of course, social justice work. And when we do work who, when we're meeting people at several intersections of oppression, I get it. Yes. But I think the biggest piece I do when clients come to me is I immediately meet them with a welcoming, a welcoming approach. I hear them, I listen to them and I do not shame what they have done up to this point to cope or whatever their choices were to be okay day by day. Because again, if sometimes it makes a difference between life and death with people, literally Mm -hmm. folks are Mm -hmm. on the fringe of like, look, if I hear one more fucked up thing, that's it, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I always keep that in mind. I I don't care how someone reaches out to me. Now, one thing I I do mention, um, whether it's just in, you know, my marketing material, that I don't push intentional weight loss, but I know people are always going to hit me up about that. Now, I make the clear distinction between intentional weight loss or dieting for intentional weight loss and helping transgender, nonconforming, non-binary folks modify their bodies in particular ways to feel okay or more in in align with their bodies. Yeah. Because that's what I do for my body. And what that looks like for me is, my particular niche is like bodybuilding. I'm trying to find the best language, but the language I have as of yet is in particular with trans masculine folks or mm. folks who would like a, a more masculinized physique. And I get a lot of pushback for this shit. Um, mm. And it's interesting. I get pushback for this by people who don't even identify as such. And honestly, if it's not your lived experience, I don't, I don't, I don't care for you to come. 
at me about what your opinion <laughs> yeah. is because you ain't living in that body. But mm-hmm. I'll, you know, I'll say, hey, I can help masculinize your physique or, you know, I can tailor workouts, you know, and add particular exercises and rep ranges and this type of thing. And again, I don't, I no longer do like calorie count and trigger warning for folks who, you know, I'm, t- I'm talking about dieting right now, but I don't mm-hmm. do like calorie counting and asking what your weights are on the scale and all that bullshit. But I will train you in a particular way because that's what your goals are. Yeah. So I, again, I'm still learning to navigate that because ain't nobody really doing that or they ain't saying it like I'm saying it. So that's just what it is. And it's been helpful to a lot of my clients. Yeah. 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 What do you, what do you get in terms of pushback? Like what is the pushback around that? I think the the biggest pushback is people try to roll that up into Oh, you're pushing diets or oh, right. you're 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 still holding on to the European beauty standards that a mm. that a male mm-hmm. physique should look a certain way and a male physique can be pudgy and round and this and that's fine. It can. And I'm not saying it can. Anybody's body can look you can look how you want to look. And if you want to come to me again because and I think let me rewind a little bit. I think because of the way trans and cis, that in itself is a binary. And without yeah. cis, there would be no need for trans. Like if yes. we could just legit show the fuck up how we wanted to without yelling to the world, we're trans, we're going through this big <laughs> transition. And once I have all the steps completed, it'll be finalized and voila. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like, if, if we would, it wouldn't be a need for this shit in the first place. You know, if a non-binary person could literally walk down the street and not get pushed back from greater society for looking a certain way when they want you to honor who they are, they wouldn't feel the need to have to do this shit in the first place. So why would I ever, if I have the tools to assist them, why would I ever say, well, you know what? You shouldn't even be feeling like that. So I'm not going to help you. <laughs> like, I want you to live your life and be as free in your body as you possibly can. And if that comes from doing some fucking extra reps or pull-ups, hey, Mm -hmm. that's just how I see, again, as of now. And that might change. Mm -hmm. But right now, that's just how I feel. Well, it's how you feel and how a lot of people feel. I think Mm -hmm. by speaking directly to that, yeah, I just find what you're doing refreshing in in that way that you're kind of speaking directly to people's immediate lived experience and Mm -hmm. you're also holding like a very you know like sophisticated complex you know critique of all the the issues that are are driving people to behave and to cope in the way that they need to right you know so Mm -hmm. it's I think that there's like a very important immediacy to what you're doing and Mm. you're doing it in a, I think you're thinking about it in a really much more broad way. So uh, yeah, it's, but I I hear that kind of like the intersection of body acceptance, health at every size Mm. and the reality of the world we're living in Um, and holding those two things. You're really, you are really holding that. You're actually dealing with people's bodies you know and Mm. so you're really holding that that line in some ways and that must feel really complicated yeah Yeah. it does it does because I you know I am a member 
of ASDA, the Association for Size, Diversity, and Health, I believe. Yeah. Yes. And I I believe in, I actually teach from the Health at Every Size curriculum. Yes. And I remember when I had got tagged by ASDA on Facebook on their like page. And, you know, they were like, wow, newest member, Ilya from Decolonizing Fitness. And so many people came for me because they went on my website. Now, granted, at that time, I I was advertising for macronutrient coaching. It was, um, I think, about a year or so ago. And, um, you know, I, I did hear the critique on that and I altered things since moving forward. But yeah. they were just like gunning for me. And it was a whole <laughs> bunch of like, Sis had white women and I'm like, let me school y'all real quick. And so I was, it was the long, one of the longest threads on their like page because I had people that were actually in support of me and were bringing a lot of nuance who were like, sis had white women who had followed me on Instagram. And then it was a lot of people who had never heard of me and they were just gunning. And then it was me, you know, standing up for myself. And I just had to really push through, even with health at every size, like, no, we're here. It's another component to that that you're not even checking for. And granted, I might not have the, you know, the best language for it, but I know what the fuck I feel when you come at me from this lens of like shame on you for pushing diet. And I ain't even just talking about diets. I'm talking about race, gender, size, age, medical conditions, like all of that shit. Yeah. Mm hmm. Excuse me for getting so hyped. Sorry. No, I think it's great. It's it's like, and I think that those conversations are only going. I mean, this is easy to say, but those conversations are only going to make those those organizations and those discourses stronger. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. your boy. It's like if they can't if they can't address and encompass what you're bringing to the table, then you know that they don't that that's not very powerful in a lot of yes ways. And, yes. Um, yeah, I think. Thank you. Yeah. So I think it's curious to me, like what you think brings these cis het white women to you. I've had a tumultuous relationship with cis het white women because they're my biggest supporters. Huh. Solely, yeah. Surprisingly enough, cis white women um, really resonate with my message, in particular when I share about body positivity stuff. Yeah. I think I challenge them a lot with regards to um, gender um, and mm-hmm. race. But I also do receive a lot of pushback. One, because, you know, that's my biggest market. So a lot of them are going to come for me, and you know, in the same time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, a, it's always this sense of entitlement. It's always this, like, um, single focus of, well, I'm fat, and I experience the world through this particular fat woman's lens, and I honor that. But you cannot bump up against people with multiple oppressions, like have a seat. And understand just because you are moving from that place, you can't negate every single thing else because you you're moving in the world with with a fat body. You're still you do not have, are at a particular class status. That's why you're able to you know take time and spend money uh, with me mm. because you got extra money to spend. You know you're mm-hmm. still moving through the world as a white woman, as a white cis woman, like. So I, I do come at them when they come at me. I ain't going to front. 
and we meet in the middle, but I have to school them because I'm like, I'll give you your money back. I have no problem. I will refund you all of your money because it's, it's a, it's the people that I center in my work are never going to be white folks. Now, if you happen to learn from the things that I do, that's awesome. And mm-hmm. I love that you support my business. But honestly, if you're moving through allyship, or in particular, what I like to call an accomplice, you should be doing that anyway. You should be seeking out the work of trans and gender nonconforming people of color and be wanting to support them. You don't get no cookies for that shit. Right. So that's that's just kind of kind of some of the conversations that we've had. But for the most part, you know, folks are, you know, always reaching out and and helping me to to grow to grow this platform for sure. Mm. Yeah. So I want to hear a little bit about maybe you could just describe like, you know, we'll talk about your podcast and and the yeah, your the whole project and platform that you have, but maybe we could talk a little bit about what it is that happens when someone comes to you wanting to um to work with you. Mm-hmm. So they, so they literally will reach out to me and they'll have, you know, a gazillion questions, which I love and we'll have, you know, a beautiful conversation and, and they come, a lot of folks come very fearful because they just had shitty ass experiences with personal trainers. And I, I do, you know, talk, talk with folks through that. And then I ask them what their goals are. Some people are pretty straightforward. They're like, you know, I want this. I need this. And, you know, just meet me here. Um, And, you know, it's a little bit easier for me to do it in person than online. Mm -hmm. But we we I try to keep as many lines of communication open and make myself as available as I can with the capacity that I have. But we just we just develop a really organic relationship. And all of my clients, the training just looks different. It just yeah. depends on their needs. And yeah. that's why I always set set out with the intention of, hey, you tell me what you need. You reach mm-hmm. out to me and just say, hey, Ilya, this isn't working. I need more of this. And I'm so open to that. I'm so open to feedback. Right. You're not like you're not assessing people and saying, well, I'll tell you what you need. It's, you no. know, you're really, yeah, you're doing no. it kind of in the opposite way. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of learn through, you know, the conversation. And that's why I do ask all of my clients to at least check in with me on a weekly basis. And I try to provide like mediums where they can reach out to me easily either via text email training apps or whatever have you and so I can kind of get to know you along the process and then I can actually assess you in that way and then and then the things that you need kind of rolls out and you and you're really you're really empowered because you're leading this process not me and I'm always open to learning yeah yeah I just think that that's really I mean, it's obviously, I think for everyone listening, they will agree with me, but it's, you know, that's a really powerful way to hold space for people who, for many, many reasons, have never really had that, had someone tell them, actually, you know, I am not a gatekeeper to what you Mm. want to accomplish. I am, you know, here to facilitate what you already know. And mm-hmm. I think that there's just something really significant about that. I, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, the, the way that in particular you have training in 
in medical, um, like helping people with medical um, Mm -hmm. issues, because I think that that is, uh, you know, deeply underrepresented in in this world. Um, It's sort of, and just that, yeah. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that, how you deal with that and what you've, what your knowledge is around that. Thank you. So again, I, you know, I started, I still am a physical therapist assistant. And although I don't, you know, full disclosure, I obviously am not utilizing my physical therapy Mm -hmm. work when I'm working under my medical exercise specialist scope, Mm -hmm. even though they're beginning to merge as healthcare changes. So Mm -hmm. with medical exercise in particular, and I think a lot of folks aren't aware of this when they reach out to me and I'll start sharing more material because I'm really learning a lot through this certification because it's so new. Um, mm-hmm. We're part of the healthcare continuum. We're a member of the healthcare co- team, almost like um, if a if a medical doctor, which is essentially the gatekeeper, reaches right. out to a dietitian for their patient. They yes, would also right. refer to a medical exercise specialist for a, mm-hmm. a more nuanced approach to personal training. So yes. I, I automatically need a doctor's referral, unfortunately, right now, uh, because I need to have access to your medical records. I need to fully know the scope of what your medical diagnoses are and, and things of that nature. And then I also have to always check in with your doctor like I'm in constant communication with your doctor or physical therapist because mm-hmm. physical therapist any any anyone any healthcare provider can um, make a referral for a medical exercise specialist so mm-hmm. now with that being said when I work with for example going back to trans masculine clients so say I'm working with a trans masculine client who um, chooses to still wear their chest binder during sessions because mm-hmm. that happens. And I teach a lot about that. Like I don't shame people for the days that they don't particularly or they're feeling very dysphoric in their body. And if yeah. they need to wear their chest binder, I modify the session for them. And sometimes that looks like us just walking around the lake or sitting mm-hmm. and talking or even giving them a massage. It could be something as simple as that. But mm-hmm. I'm more mindful if I see them maybe breathing a little more heavier or their respiration rate is accelerated. Or if I see that they're a little more pasty or sweating, I'm going to be more mindful of checking their vitals. Um, yeah. And even if they aren't aware of it, because working in a, in a medical field and especially working in ICUs and uh, hospitals, I react instantly, instantaneous. You know, something happens. I see a little glitch in the way you kind of shift your body when you walk. I'm on it. Mm. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of personal trainers, yeah, they can assess vitals. Yes, they can check and see that you're sweating. But do they immediately run down a list of things of what this could be? Yeah. Um, Also, when I, you know, provide, in particular, when, when I provide like my PT questionnaire, and, you know, and I see when they list, you know, about their history, their medical history, and even some of their um, family history, there are, you know, indicators that I'll, you know, that red flags, if you will, that I'll pick up on and I'll be like, hey, and I'll follow up with them with a series of questions. Sometimes that leads to, hey, I'm going to need a doctor's note from you. 
um, mm-hmm. before we can proceed. And I don't think, number one, because in the United States, you do not have to have any type of certification as a personal trainer to call yourself a personal trainer. So you mm-hmm. got a lot of folks out here just mm-hmm. put, slapping that on the business card and don't know shit. And, you know, and then you have folks who are highly trained and have medical backgrounds as well. But I feel like I'm providing that to my client, especially in person, um, just that extra medical piece, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's really important. I want to just take a moment, I guess, to talk about something that I've been been curious about with you, which is, you know, who who is either inspiring you and your work right now, or who do you feel like you're in kind of active conversation with that is, you know, helping to shape the way that you are working? Um, Two right off the top are Sona Lee Rashad War. I think their Instagram handle is the fat sex therapist. Yeah. I literally learn so much from them every single day. Um, (laughs) I, I'm a fan girl. (laughs) Fan girl. Um, and Sonia Renee Taylor, I'd probably say, um, the top two. And I'm mm. fortunate enough, I will be interviewing Sonia Renee Taylor. I'm so excited. Um, yeah. She's the author of The Body is Not an Apology for folks that don't know. But I mean, pretty much everybody knows who she is. And um, so I'm so excited. But I have read Sonia Renee Taylor's book now probably like two or three times. Mm. um yeah so I mean two pages in I was crying I was like oh my god Mm. this shit is so profound like I needed this in my life so yeah those those two people um also Laura Max Spadden one one other Laura Mm. Max Spadden is a a non-binary person in New York Mm. we um we had been chatting online and then we met at the Philly Trans Wellness Conference last year and I love them. Yeah, they're they're dope as fuck. Positive Movement dot org, I think, is the name of their website. So check them mm. out. Yeah, that's great. When you were talking about the body is not an apology, what do you feel like you could speak to? Just some of what really resonated for you, because I think um, if people haven't read it or, you know, mm. don't know about it, um, it might be nice just to hear a little bit about what's so deeply resonant. Oh, God, it's so much. But the the, the first <laughs> the first thing that jumps into me, honestly, I, I kind of had similar messages from Louise Hay back in the day. Because I'm a huge Louise Hay fan. I don't tell a lot of people that, but hey, um, here, there you go. But um, just the whole part of, you know, when you were born, when you were a baby, you literally would put your foot in your mouth. You loved your body so much. You lay in your own poop. You know what I mean? You weren't, you you would cry when you needed things. It was, it was just an, a, a very very close connection to all the parts of your body and you didn't even know much of the world and Mm. so as we grew we became more detached from our bodies and our bodies have always been here taking care of us and that uh, that has stuck with me for years and Mm. even when I'm at my lowest that's one of the things that I that I'll return to because it just helps me come back to my body and, and come from a place of thankfulness because I think oftentimes 
trans and queer folks in particular, or I'll just speak from my experience, it's a really kind of heady experience, especially when you're moving in like social justice circles. You can name all these systems and these things and you're just living in your head and your head is like detached from your body. And you just, Mm -hmm. you can always point out to, oh, this is why the world hates me. And you're literally still moving around in this body and not connected to it. But it's mm-hmm. still it's still me, all of me. And so that's that's like a huge piece that I take mm-hmm. from. And I, and I know I'm oversimplifying that shit to no end. But that's a huge piece that I take from um, from the body is not an apology that just jumps yeah. out. Yeah, I mean, that's well, I, it's it's a very powerful part of it. And I, I'm curious. I know this is a big question and you can kind of answer it however you want. But how have mm-hmm. you been able to remind yourself that your body's always here to take care of you because I think pretty much everything in many of our lived experiences as varied as they are you know a Mm -hmm. lot for a lot of people don't don't give us that impression Mm -hmm. you know um Mm -hmm. so how what are the ways that you kind of remind yourself of that or keep that in mind I think sometimes because I've been at my lowest and I, in full disclosure, I've been at my lowest where literally I have not been able to leave my apartment for like months. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been at my lowest where I've had, you know, thank goodness for this person, but I've had friends who would just like ring my phone until I picked up because they kept me here in this world. Sure. I wouldn't bathe, yeah. I wouldn't eat. Um, so for me, I've always had a really it's always been a sacred place for me when I'm able to get up and take a bath and mm-hmm. moisturize my skin. Mm-hmm. And so with that, it's like a whole ritual of me rubbing my legs and rubbing my feet and rubbing my neck and touching my body and thanking my body and not looking in a mirror and, you know, trying to print prep and, you know, mm-hmm. prim and proper kind of thing, but actually just feeling it. Cause I know when I look in a mirror, I'm gonna hate it again. Mm-hmm. But just really just sitting with it and massaging it a little bit. And that kind of helps me come back into my body. And then I just will go and lay back down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. another thing, and I, I don't, I'm just going to be honest with you. Another thing that helps me get into my body sometimes is masturbation. Yeah. Of course. And those, yeah. those two things are like, if I'm really, really down, I can muster the strength to try to do one of those two things. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Thank you for, for sharing that. I think it's, it's something we don't often ask one another, you know, in, yeah. in like common like interactions, but I think it's, it's actually a really important thing to share. Like these, yeah. these ways that we are able to, to reconnect or at least ground in our bodies because it can be sort of life-saving in a way. Um, Yes. Thank you for asking that too. Yeah. 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 So I want to give us some time for you to talk about your platform. Um, Tell the listeners what they need to know about all the things that you do. Thank you. So first and foremost, Decolonizing Fitness is a social justice platform. We offer online personal training. We offer in-person training. We offer education to businesses, organizations, collectives that would like to make their their movement 
spaces more affirming to all bodies, to diverse bodies who are traditionally not welcomed in the fitness arena. And I also have apparel, um, which um, a good chunk of the sales from my apparel goes into my community fund where I am able to offer sliding scale rates and and um, free services to folks who need them. Also, mm-hmm. if you check me out, oh, decolonizingfitness.com is the website. Uh, mm-hmm. Check me out. And if you would be so gracious as to support my Patreon as well, under the name of Decolonizing Fitness, the Patreon, my first goal for Patreon, and Patreon for folks who don't know, it's just like a a platform for creators to put out amazing work to the world and also be sustained. And so you, we gather members via very, very low monthly subscription rates, like um, the lowest subscription rate I have to become a patron is $5 a month. That's mm-hmm. a cup of coffee a month um, at Starbucks. But my first Patreon goal is actually to create a continuing ed um, course for Ace Fitness which is the um, personal training cert that I have to offer an affirming spaces continuing ed course. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I am halfway towards my goal. Um, uh, my goal was to, um, to try to get 200 patrons. I have, I think, 108 patrons. So please support that. You get, you get access to tons of stuff. People are even telling me, like, wow, you offer way too much for your Patreon. And I'm like, no, this is what I want to do. Mm. Um, and, and then lastly, I just jumped into the podcasting world. Yeah, <laughs> I'm <you did>. super, new. <laughs> I'm super new, but, um, even if you, um, I think for the $5 tier on my Patreon, by the way, it gets you, um, um, you're, su- you happen to sustain the podcast cause I don't have any sponsors, but mm-hmm. the podcast is decolonizing fitness podcast. And it's just essentially me unpacking a little bit of the things that I share on social media um, of ways that we can kind of expand the conversation around what fitness can be when it's inclusive and affirming to all folks. I do, uh, again, on my Patreon, if you become a member at the $5 tier, you get access to like a really, really in-depth version of my show notes with resources, book recommendations, a lot of my commentary. Um, So please, please, please check me out um, and um, show some support so I can continue to sustain this work. Follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Decolonizing Fitness. I'm easy to find. Yeah. And yeah. Cool. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank no you for problem. being here and sharing more about yourself and, and what you're doing. It's really important. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah.